today I'm excited to share with you an interview with Peggy Brousseau, who just released a new cookbook called The Contented Vegan. Don't you just love the name of that? Being contented on your plant-based vegan journey. Oh, so good. Peggy shares with us not only about her new cookbook, but her own vegan journey, the four pillars of what she considers plant-based eating, you're going to love it, and also what she calls swap shopping, which I personally am in love with. This is such a fun conversation, and if you are listening to this in real time, we are giving away a copy of Peggy's cookbook. The cookbook releases today, March 2nd in the United States. And so the giveaway will run March 2nd through the 9th. And there are two ways to enter to win this brand new cookbook. You can either leave a review of the podcast on Apple and screenshot a photo to me on social media at bad to the bowl, or you can head over to the blog bad to the bowl.com forward slash 30 and find multiple ways to enter. Now, let's dive into the interview. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast, where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins Sounds like a win-win to you. Go grab a spoon or fork and let's dive into learning more about how you can be plant forward. Hello and welcome back to the Bull of Life podcast. Today I am so excited to introduce you to Peggy Brousseau, author of the just released cookbook, The Contented Vegan. Peggy has been vegan for 30 years, meaning she knows a thing or two about being plant-based and eating plant-based, and she is here to talk about her new book, and as she says on her website, give us a peek into her life and kitchen. Peggy, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, Sarah. Yes, I can try. <laughs> I'm, uh, I was born in Minneapolis and lived there for my girlhood, and then I came to London, to Britain, and did some traveling, um, and essentially stayed. It wasn't planned, but I, I have spent a number of decades here as, as a result. Um, in, the early part, in the early part of that, I ran a small holding in a remote corner of Britain, and that's where I became very fascinated by plants and plant-based diet and learn to grow things for myself and also to cook um, for two or three instead of for 12, which is what I'd grown up doing. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> That's a big family. <laughs> yes, it, it was a big family with lots of friends stopping around and things like that. You know, Midwestern families are like that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. When you say uh, you had a small holding, is that like a, a small garden or what What does that mean? Okay, that's like, um, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure what it's called. It, it's like five acres and independence, you know. It's oh, okay, like an independent farmer almost? Almost, but very, very small, more like a market gardener. Oh, very cool. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm putting kind of those pieces together to equate kind of maybe what that would be. Um, 
did you sell did you sell then what you were yes I did I made it you know I, I earned my living from it it was a small living but I did earn my living from it I had a an orchard of about 52 trees apples and cherries pears and plums and uh, a large herb garden which I planted and I and I sold produce from that and a vegetable garden as well and at that time um, I was kind of if I say landed with a cow I, I don't mean any disrespect to the cow but um, I, I was delivered a cow who was kind of being rescued mm. and I was asked to look after her and so I did and it, as a result I learned to milk her and I made cheeses from her milk and then unbeknownst to me at the, at the time I uh, realized she was pregnant Oh. And so she had her calf in in the little meadow that was also part of my small holding. And from that moment, really, I was uh, overwhelmed by guidance or advice from local farmers who said what I had to do with the calf and what I had to do with the cow. And it was all, in my opinion, utterly unacceptable. It was cruel. Um, I, I had never really met an animal before that time and I had come to like her <laughs> and uh, th this didn't match with, with what I wanted to do or be. So I, at that point I decided not to take part in animal husbandry and became vegetarian. And this was at a time when I don't really think I knew much much about it. I mean, I had barely heard the word. And so I dropped animal uh, meat and, uh, from my diet. And a number of years later, having moved away from the smallholding and, and moved to London with my husband, I, we became vegan. We just dropped all animal produce from our diet. And it was a very, very comfortable and happy move and uh, for both of us I would say for me it felt like relief like at last I'd found my diet my way of my way of eating that, that best suited me and made me feel relaxed and comfortable with my choices oh that's so wonderful and yeah, and it's almost like I'm sure the the cow, you know, felt like a pet at that point after you, you know, had helped it give birth and, you know, all of that. And um, that's such a, wow, I'm sure that was such an experience, especially not, no, you know, like here you are doing, you know, more um, garden, you know, like uh, veggies and herbs and all that. Yes. And you're like, oh, wait, suddenly we're having live animals. Yes. It, it was a, a very strong experience for me, both positive and negative. Um, yeah, wow, wow. And yeah. so was that something you had always been interested in, kind of the, the you know, um, growing vegetables and tending to, um, you know, kind of a farm or, you know, had you done that growing up or kind of what led you? Well, it was a bit of a surprise, um, but I must say that growing up, everyone in the neighborhood seem to have a little family vegetable patch in their backyard. Um, it was not unusual. I think it is unusual now, but then it was normal. And kids would just run around playing with, you know, in, in each other's yards. And I remember pulling up small 
you know, like radishes and so forth and just eating them on the spot. <laughs> uh, it was very natural. Um, but I never anticipated that I'd be actually growing, especially to produce things that I would then sell. But I really enjoyed it and it made me, it, it opened up the world of plants to me. It made me very enthusiastic about about them, about how, about the abundance of the plant world and how much there is there for us to eat and that can sustain us with very little effort. Um, I, I was fascinated and I would say hooked because I've always, I've remained fascinated ever since. Oh, well, yeah, I think there is something about that connection to earth, you know, especially when you start growing your own food and you see that come to fruition and you start learning, you know, the nutrition behind it and, and the colors, you know, my husband yes. is always fond of saying like, oh my gosh, I love how colorful our plate is tonight. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's true. It's so colorful. And that is just so cool that you had that experience. Are you able to grow a garden in London now as well? Or... Well, funnily enough, um, yes, but ours is called an allotment garden. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard of those? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, my brother in Minneapolis, who we were kind of talking about before we jumped on, um, because they are in kind of a city landscape, their their location, they kind of have an allotment close by where they can grow stuff. So yeah, yeah similar things happening over here. That's right. So it's very tiny, but it's a, a real pleasure. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, so, ha so happy to hear that you're able to still nourish that love of, of growing things. Um, I keep, we were once part of a CSA, so that's a community-supported agriculture a few years ago. We have very sandy soil um, around our house, but my husband keeps trying every year to keep growing a little bit here and a little bit there. I, I don't have the best green thumb in the world, which is funny because I love cooking and everything. Yeah. So everybody thinks naturally, well, you're plant-based, Sarah, and you love cooking. And I'm like, I I can't even grow like a little plant. You know? <laughs> so oh. my son, you know, we talked about how my son's trying to grow an avocado. I'm like, well, good luck, bud. You're in charge of this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely admire anybody with a green thumb. And my desire is always to get better every year at it. So um, you have published 24 books I was looking at, and that's so impressive to me. So your new cookbook, The Contented Vegan, it goes over all this experience you have, the experience that you had growing things, experience of your transition to, you know, a vegan lifestyle. And so what was like the root of the inspiration for publishing your new cookbook? Well, I think it really stems from the longevity of, of, of the, the vegan diet in terms of our family. That um, for almost 35 years, actually, we've been, we've eaten a vegan diet. And so that's, that began at a time when there weren't that many people doing it. And there weren't that many books that covered the, the uh, nutritional information specific to a plant-based diet or just the social experience of it. And so we, we just dived in the deep end, in a sense, and found our way. We, we read as much as we could on nutrition and various health aspects of the diet. Uh, we talked to people when we could, including doctors and nutritionists. And 
basically put one foot in front of the other. And having come through it and raised a family, we have two sons, and solved a lot of problems along the way, um, this seemed a good, a good point at which to kind of share that experience and that knowledge, especially because there's such a growing interest in the vegan way of, of living. Yeah, and that's so exciting to see all the interest turn to to a vegan lifestyle. And I really like that you pointed out about the nutritional aspect of it, because um, as you say, you, this cookbook will help you know, when someone's interested in going to a vegan lifestyle and adapting that way of eating, you know, sometimes they can tend to be, as you call it, a white bread and jam vegan because they don't know the nutrition aspect. So why why do you think that is? Why do you think when, when someone decides to go vegan, they suddenly, you know, feel like they're so limited in what they can eat, which again, leads to maybe that white bread and jam at every meal. Yes. I, I must say, first of all, that I have no objection to white bread or jam. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. My son would agree with you. He is a bread person. <laughs> yeah. But it's the, it's the, what's lacking in it is variety. And so very quickly, a person who follows that sort of diet, whether they uh, say that they're vegan or not, will be, become malnourished to some extent. And I think with, with a person who's making the switch to a plant-based diet, they are enthusiastic. And so they say no to animal-based foods. They turn their back on them. And I fully understand that. I've done that myself. So, but then they've, they've got this forward, uh, the, the years in front of them, and they don't, they're not quite equipped for it. Mm. So I would say to encourage people, great, do, do go ahead and say no to the animal-based food items. But immediately you do that, get in contact with someone or pick up a book or read on the internet um, as much as you can about the, the basic uh, basics of nutrition. In fact, I've included um, a sort of double-page spread in my book that just introduces the nutrients that we require. But even that can sometimes uh, slow a person down. And that they, because it's not everyone is interested in vitamin this and mineral that. Um, they just want to feel good and they want to have delicious meals. And so then what do you do? And in a sense, having given that nutritional information um, and having studied it for myself, I wanted to make it easy. I wanted to make a toolkit, really, for people to say, okay, I can go straight into this the next day after my decision, and I don't have to rely on junk food or snacks all day long. I can actually build quite a healthy diet right from the start. And so the, the toolkit I've tried to, to include it starts with a foundation of what I call four cornerstones of good health. Um, th that is that you build variety into your diet. You eat a whole, whole food as much as possible. Food that is locally or organically grown if possible. And um, that it's in season if possible. Now you notice I put if possible on the end of all those because it's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be just a shift and 
for people to become aware that um, uh, a healthy diet is just there in front of them, but they just have to pay a little bit more attention than they might have done a month or two ago. Um, I've put all this information in the section called Food as Medicine or Let Food Be Your Medicine because... Mm. I love uh, that quote. <laughs> yes, that's from Hippocrates, who's a Greek, a Greek physician in, was it the 6th century or 5th century? Yeah, a long BC. time ago, right? <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> and he, he said, he said, let, you know, eat your medicine. That if you eat wholesome foods, especially simple foods, on a daily basis, you're bound, you're, you're more likely to be able to recover from illness of any sort rather quickly. In fact, you're less likely to become ill in the first place. That's what his message was. And what, we've, what we now know about plants in particular is that they're rich in substances called phytochemicals. Phyto is the Greek word for plant. And we know what chemicals are. They're invisible stuffs, aren't they? Mm. And, but we don't call them nutrients yet because we've decided that we have all the nutrients named. But people are studying phytochemicals and realizing that the plant world is providing us with, I think, at least 10,000 different phytochemicals. Some of them aren't even named yet, but they're mm. starting to categorize them into groups. And what they do is they, they influence the nutrients, so the nutrients we're familiar with. Um, they influence those so that they are not, so we don't overconsume them or that our body doesn't overuse them, and also that they kind of work together in a, a way that supports good health. And this is just fascinating. And as far as this toolkit idea, it supports the, the, the message that if you eat a variety of plant-based foods, you're likely to get all the nutrients you need, and that includes phytochemicals, it includes enzymes, um, and you, you, when you have sufficient nutrients, you're more likely to be well. Mm, yes, yeah, I totally, totally agree with with all of that. And it's, you know, that's what, you know, plant-based is so, diet is so colorful. It's so nutrient-dense. It's, you know, it's just so good for you. It's so, you know, even if you don't really want to, like, you, as you said, if the, you know, the science, you know, you're going to have that group of people that's just kind of like, yeah, I just want good food to eat. You know, I, I don't really want to know, like, all the vitamins behind it. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, like, if you are just focused on those four cornerstones, and I love that. I love variety, whole foods, locally or organically grown and in season, you know, that's just all so great. And especially I love um, your focus on that local aspect as well, just because that's so important. And when you're eating local, usually that's, you know, in season as, as well, you know, yes, which is, it, it kind of all works together, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of all just starts to, to go hand in hand. Um, you know, we, we are blessed, I think, to live in this day and age where we can go to the grocery store and, you know, find anything during any yeah. season. Um, but I do like to always think of when, you know, I'm talking with people, and I'm sure you've probably thought this as well, 
you know, like, but if you go to the grocery store, you'll notice trends, you know, like when I go to the grocery store in the summer, zucchini and summer squash are a lot cheaper in the summer than when they are in the winter, at least in my area where they aren't, you know, grown in the winter and cold climates. And then in the winter, you know, the butternut squashes will be cheaper to buy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's just under the surface with us. We, we, um, we should know. We should really be very in tune with the seasons. We should be very sensitive to what they're going to provide. And it wasn't so long ago that people had to be aware of it. But we've become urbanized, to, I guess, to some a greater extent. And we're kind of losing touch with them. But my key, key issue with in-season food, local food, um, and whole food, of course, is that it has more nutrient value because mm. it hasn't been shipped around the world. Yes. Um, it hasn't had time to lose its nutrient value. And there are many, many uh, other things apart from time that influence the, the, the nutrient quality of a, of a food. But time is really, really significant. And that's oh. why, it, for me, it, it, it all starts to pull together. And, and for me also, it's, it's about seeking its nutrient nutritional value. Um, yes, you have colors. Yes, the beautiful textures of a fresh food. Um, I couldn't agree with, more with all of that. It's really important to the look of a meal and to how you feel when, when you're eating it. And certainly the, the colors and textures give us messages about what nutrients are present in that food and um, how fresh they are. Yeah, and I love that you pointed out the the nutrient aspect there. And in our day and age of crazy fad diets going on that aren't nutrient filled, yes. yeah, it's so important to look back, you know. And I mean, some of the and I know you, you'll probably agree with this. Some of these fad diets are so-called claimed that they're based on what our ancestors ate. and But if you look back, really what they were eating is this mentality of nuts, berries, local foods. They couldn't go to the store. You know, it's like, that's what they were eating. And so if you really want to dive deep into that, you know, so it's it's interesting to me. I I love to talk about the nutrients of plant-based food and, Mm. um, you know, that's you know, and that whole food can be thy medicine, you know, that's a huge aspect for me. I mean, I went fully plant-based for inflammation if issues to begin with. Um, That was kind of what led me in that direction. And I just knew there was something. My mom had always believed in the power of food and I kind of dove deep into those roots and I was like, okay, yeah, it's like this, this is true. This this food food is medicine. (laughs) Yes. When you also include um, in your food, in the idea of food, when you include things like herbs and spices, then you're really starting to, to cover all the bases as well because people are more accepting of, of the possibility that a herb or a spice could be medicinal in some mm-hmm. way or of benefit to you in a medicinal way. But um, when, you, when you add it to your food, it, it's both things at once. It, it lifts the flavors, it b- binds them together, and it delivers these these qualities that we might not get in, in from other th- food sources. 
Mm, yes, love that. What are what are some of your favorite herbs? Oh, don't. <laughs> I love them all. I I I am fascinated by them. Um, mm, yeah, I I feel like I go through um, every year I'll be like stuck on one herb, like, and then that I'll let it run its course, like every summer rather. Um, yeah. I, I, I can grow herbs. That is one thing I can grow. That's great. Um, and, and the baby rabbits in my area liked them so much too, that a mother put her baby in my, my garden oh. box. I was like, that was a surprise one day, but, um, like one summer I was really into dill. And then one summer I was really into like, basil and then it's like kind of runs its course and the next summer i'm like okay i don't really feel so much like basil this summer i mean a few times but yeah yeah Yeah. i i I agree my ideal would be to have lots of them just outside the kitchen door but uh, yeah that is an ideal Yeah, yeah, it is nice, especially, you know, I mean, in the winter, you know, I try to grow a few inside. They don't, they don't do as well just with the temperature of, you know, heat going on in the house and, you know, those type of things and dryness. Um, But it's always kind of is nice to have a little fresh, you know, herbs and in the winter as well. So you mentioned in your book as well, this 80-20 rule to plant-based eating, kind of as like an intro, I think, to people when they're exploring um, it. And I like how, you know, you kind of had talked about that people really don't even realize that they're already eating a lot of plant-based food. And so really just kind of going that other 20%. Can you kind of explain that philosophy a little bit more, that 80-20 kind of rule? Sure. Um, it's a, I mean, it's something people are very familiar with, I think. This, it, it, certainly, the, it's applied to many situations. I think in business, it's called the Pareto Principle. Yep. Um, and it, people apply the 80-20 idea in many aspects of their life. So um, I think there's an ease that happens when, when we hear that. And basically what it is, is that if you investigate your own diet, if you look back over the past few days or the past week and make a note of what you've eaten, you'll notice that in all likelihood, about 80% of your diet has been plant-based. And that's a huge, a huge revelation to many, many people. That means if you choose to, if you're intending to increase the amount of plant-based foods in your diet, you only have to deal with 20% of what you eat. That's this is very broad brush stoke, um, very general idea, and that takes the pressure off people automatically okay. and instantly. They feel I can do this. This is not going to be a huge, great upheaval and a big, you know, littered with problems. This is something I can do. And this is another tool that I hope people will use because it is, in a sense, it's a reality check. Um, and it, a lot of the assumptions and misconceptions about eating plant-based just fall away as soon as you realize, okay, I had a burger, but most of that was plant-based. I just, if I just changed that hamburger into a bean burger, I'm sorted. Suddenly, you know, it might be a different mayo. It might not have the cheese. These things you can fix and you can create a meal that's vegan with very, very little effort, very little change in a sense. Similarly with uh, breakfast, you know, just using plant milk instead of dairy milk on your cereal. Again, you, you've, you've made a, 
one meal a day, you've turned that into a vegan meal straight away, very simply. So I wanted it, th this, the first step, the first moment even of thinking about a plant-based diet or switching to it, I wanted it to feel really easy and comfortable that, that, that it would be personal to the person who's reading and trying this, that it would be very gradual. They could set the pace, um, but they could also feel right from the start that they're, they can achieve it. They, they can succeed at doing it. And when you feel that, suddenly you realize that it can, uh, you can sustain the diet then. In fact, it helps you to have that feeling of, this is mine now. I can do this and make these small changes when I, when I feel like it, when I'm ready, but basically I'm on the way. And I mm. think that's very, very empowering. So, you know, you put those labels on it and it's so funny, even when I had first gone plant-based and I tell this story a lot to people, just like you said, to help them kind of understand um, that kind of what plant-based is. And, you know, they were like, mom, and they were, they were quite young. They're like, what, what is plant-based? And, you know, I was like, well, the apple that you're eating. And they're like, oh, you know, it's like suddenly you put these labels on things and people tend to get a little confused. But then when you break yes. it down, you're and, you know, then they're like, oh, well, my oatmeal is plant based. OK, you know, like, oh, my bread is plant based. OK, I got it. <laughs> like you said, yes. it, it makes it easier for them. <laughs> That's right. But it, it makes people pay attention a little bit more to what is the source of the food they're eating. Yes. And I don't, I don't mean that they pay attention in a, in a way that makes them anxious, but just it, it kind of extends their awareness of what they're doing and where it's coming from. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, I loved in your book, Kendi, I just mentioned my kids, so this made me think of this. You had a large section on there in, in the book, and I really loved this. Um, and I think it needs to be talked about more. That's why I really appreciated you having this in, in your new cookbook. You had a huge section about how food can be a tricky subject with family. And you had so many great tips in there. Do, do you mind sharing some some tips? Um, you know, because I'm sure you encountered that with two growing boys in your house growing up, and they probably had, you know, tons of friends coming over that you were feeding. Yeah. So can you explain to us some, some tips on, you know, how you approach that, you know, when your family maybe isn't all plant-based, or they're nervous about you going vegan, or you know, your friend's kids come over as well, you know, and suddenly what do you serve yeah. them? I'm happy to do that. Um, basically, I my feeling is that a two-meal family, as what I've called it, is okay. There's no need to break a button over this. Mm. It's, a, it's a very, very common situation, and I feel it's okay. Basically, my, my stance is that because diet is so personal, it's unfair for either an omnivore or a vegan to put pressure on another person to say, you have to eat like I do or we're not going to be together anymore. Um, that's just not fair. It, it's about readiness. It's about, is that person um, able to understand your reasons for switching to a plant-based diet? Um, are you putting up messages that are offending them, that make them less likely to, to come and join you in that change of diet. All these things um, 
just need to be looked at. And I think good communication and a commitment to having harmony goes much further in terms of uh, uh, you know, allowing people the space and time to make their own decisions than if we put pressure on each other. Uh, the, the, the guidance I've given is, apart from what I've just said, is to aim for many, many small solutions. Don't try and sort out the whole world yourself today. Um, just aim for small solutions such as, you know, agree, okay, are we going to have some dairy milk in the fridge just for your coffee? Is that okay? Or uh, maybe, you, you know, maybe if you're going to have meat, maybe just have that when you're out. I'm not that anyone is going out at the moment, but uh, <laughs> maybe just have that when you're having lunch out with a friend or something. Um, if if there's a, a sort of deeper feeling of I don't want to, I don't want you to cook your meat dishes in pans that I then cook my vegan dishes in. If that's going to blow a gasket, the simple solution is get another set of pans. Yeah. In my opinion, in my opinion, that's a that's a res resolution. Um, then there's a lot of things that we can do to make it actually more welcoming and appealing for that person who's not yet ready to make the switch. And that is, for instance, you know how a plate looks for an omnivore plate, I'm going to call it. It has a, usually a piece of meat or a big piece of dairy and then it has some vegetables. And if you are able to replace the meat and dairy with something that's plant-based but has a similar presence on the plate. Mm. I think that goes a huge distance to help the person feel comfortable with the transition or even the idea of a transition. And today, is it's never been easier to do this. I call it swap shopping. <laughs> because oh, I love there, that. <laughs> yeah, there are so many products out there now that are already shaped like a cutlet, or there there are bean yeah. burgers, or there are vegan cheeses. Off the top of your head, um, some of those those swaps. I love that. I love that word too. The swap shopping. Yeah, <laughs> it's just just to okay. So like recently, I've been really keen on making tempeh. Have you heard of tempeh? Yes, I I love tempeh. It, it took me a few tries to like it though. <laughs> yeah, well, um, so I make a. A TLT, tempeh lettuce and tomato sandwich, mm. to kind of show off instead of a BLT, which is bacon lettuce and tomato sandwich. Yeah. And there's no one who's never liked it. So that's an uh, that's an instance where um, something like tempeh or one of these, uh, like some sort of bean burger or uh, a, a luncheon cutlet, something like that that you buy from the freezer section, that goes in instead, and suddenly you have a meal that looks like the meal an omnivore has just had last week. So there's no threat there. There's no feeling of, oh, God, what is this stuff? It's, it's just normal. And I think that's a very useful step for people to have when they're in a two-meal family, to just have that flexibility to represent an old style uh, shape of the plate, look of the plate, um, but using plant-based foods. 
Oh, yes. I, I love that. I love that swap shopping. That's so fun. And, Thank you. you know, like you said, you know, odds are people are going to try it and they're going to love it. Um, and I'm always a big fan yes, of, you know, I, I think maybe cooking with- for yourself, you know, like find, find what you like, you know, the first times, you know, I think I just mentioned, well, now I like tempeh. The first time I made it, I was kind of, I didn't like the recipe that I had made it with, but then I tried again. It didn't stop me from trying again. And then I I found some, a few ways I liked it and was like, okay, yeah, I got it now. Yes. It, it's, I think that you're right. You just, that's, that's really part of the fun, I think, of making this transition is that we get to explore food, which we perhaps haven't done for years and years and years. We get to try new things. We break old habits even break old shopping habits so that, I mean, I'm in London, but uh, one of the things I love the most about it is being able to visit um, different markets and what I call ethnic grocery shops where the the shop will cater predominantly for um, one of the world cuisines. So like the Indian subcontinent or Mediterranean region or Asia, you know, China, Thai cooking, Vietnamese cooking, and you you find ingredients there and usages for them that you would never meet unless you made the effort, unless unless you saw it as an adventure and a way of exploring. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I think about my, my mother-in-law, you know, very traditional Midwest kind of cook. And, you know, I think when I went plant-based, like at holiday dinners, she does enjoy kind of finding new recipes to try to, oh, for, good. for me. You know, she's like, well, I've got this yeah. soup and it's so different and we really like it. And I can't wait for you to have it. And, you know, she's excited. I'm excited. And, it, you know, it just, it's good fun. <laughs> that's great. I'm, I'm- that's very good experience for you, and I'm. That's really good that she's doing that. That she's that sort of person. Yeah, yeah. So, what are some other tips? Maybe like when you were having other kids come over to your house. I think you gave a couple yeah. examples in the book, and uh, some of them I were like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that one. Those are good. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. Because well, the first rule was to make everything look normal. Um, so nothing over the yes. top and exotic and weird. That weird is a <laughs> is the the worst word for 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 that. Um, it had to be filling. And it had to be really tasty, and if I could fit some fun into it as well, um, that that helped enormously. So, I mean, we did do a lot of pies, pies and pasties. I think are very very popular. Um, and you can fit things in that might not otherwise be selected. Ooh. You know, you know, even a few greens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, wraps ha- wraps are very um, recent, I think, recently popular. Um, but you know, like a taco shell or a, yeah, one of these um, tortillas yeah. type things. Those are very flexible. People, if you just put out things that you feel that they might enjoy and it doesn't have to be the things that you you would put out if it was your mother-in-law or if it was your best friend but a combination of things that you might think that doesn't go well but it's normal so wraps with peanut butter is fine yeah if you're if you're you know if your your kid and your friends are all coming around and just let them 
get on with it is my feeling. But just to provide all these lovely selections. Um, and I mean, here again, like falafels, the little chickpea balls from the Mediterranean cuisine. Um, those are like burgers in, or, you know, how bean burgers replace meat yeah. burgers. Falafels replace all the nuggety type meat, meat-based dishes. So they're very simple, look-alike um, alternatives, is, is, and that's what we used. And the other thing I found was ever so popular were cakes and cookies. <laughs> of course, right? Of course, <laughs> and but they can be. They uh, people are often surprised that you can have them because they say, "Well, you don't use eggs," and the fact that you you can very much have them is it, it helps people to relax, especially young people. Yeah, for sure. And I think I loved um, one tip you had was set it out and leave the room. And I was like, that's oh. right. I was like, I need to do that. Cause you were like, you're like, odds are it's going to get eaten. And I was thinking about how recently my son is approaching, you know, that almost teenage that's, years. And I was like, yeah, like that, that's true. These boys, they eat when they come over. And if I just left the room, I'm sure the platter is going to be gone of whatever I said. I promise you it will be. It's a force of nature that age. It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it, it depends on your attitude on one's attitude. I mean, I think it, I think it's just beautiful. I, I think it's, uh, Really, that whole that whole phase is a party. Yeah, there are and that we mustn't get upset by any mess or a few breakages here or there or anything like that, because that's not what it's about. Yeah, and so that's where the joy and the fun can easily fit in. And the other thing I I just throw this one in is popcorn, um, especially if you have an air popper, then popcorn is an ideal. Uh, instant snack food until you've got something else out on the table and it doesn't have to have the butter and all the salt there are a lot of other things you can apply to it I mean we even sprinkle nutritional yeast flakes and sometimes seaweed little flakes of seaweed on it and it's very very successful Yes, for this job. You had a, um, and uh, you know, popcorn, I think it just brings everybody into the kitchen. First off, they smell yeah. talking and suddenly, you know, everyone's like, what's going on in here? Like, it smells so good. And yeah. that's just the nature of popcorn in itself, right? Um, yeah. And you had such a great, I can't wait to try this. You kind of had a seasoning mix in your cookbook that sounded so good. <laughs> yes, I, the little the, to shake or spray on it. Yes. yes, it is instead of it's instead of that buttery, salty thing. I mean, it's just a, it does give a bit of saltiness. Um, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, Ooh, got me going now. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> I want to get some popcorn for a snack now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of specifically the cookbook, I mentioned this great popcorn recipe, but you know, I think sometimes people think of oh, a vegan cookbook. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to go spend a lot on new ingredients that I don't know. But that's not the case in your book. What kind of recipes can we can we find in the book that use you know everyday ingredients? <laughs> Well, I would say most of them. Um, I mean, so what you have there is uh, are the family favorites for for over thirty years, and so they can't be 
kind of very, very time-consuming and very expensive dishes. They, they have to be kind of basic in, in, in their cost, certainly, but also just in the availability of the ingredients. Having said that, I do have fun looking for new ingredients. That's part of the joy of it for me. But it's not all the time and it's not expensive because of how I do it. So, I mean, I, I just have uh, an approach to shopping, first of all, where I do get the basics as inexpensively as possible. And that includes all the, the grains and flours that I use and the beans. I use a lot of beans and lentils. Then the, um, the spices and herbs and so forth. They're a little bit more, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more, um, you know, I will go the extra mile for those because they're so special. Mm -hmm. um, and then the fruit and veg, we use a market. And so we get in-season uh, fresh fruit and veg from the growers on a weekly basis. And that's my policy. So the staples that I, I buy, like the grains and beans, I buy in useful amounts and I store them properly here so that I don't go shopping that often for those, maybe quarterly, uh, every, every season. And I've got some big jars and I just put them in there and that's what's there. And I can decide each day, okay, what do I feel like today? And soak the beans overnight, that sort of thing. So it's all, uh, it's all, uh, it's there for me. I don't have to chase around and um, worry about it. And just, with the spices and so forth, as part of a of enjoying the city, if I see something that looks pretty in terms of a color or or texture, I'll just get a little bit of it and see what happens. And that's that's the fun part. I I found at first I could not understand why people were saying it was more costly. I just couldn't understand it because I've done it in this way. I. I feel that, that the cost of it is about half of what used to be uh, the, the cost on an omnivorous diet. Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't know if they, you know, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I don't know why people say that because when you do look at like cost of dried beans or, or even a canned beans, if you're not going to dry them, I mean, canned beans, you know, in my area are 50 cents to a dollar, you know, and I'm like, that's yeah. really cheap compared to maybe that, uh, meat or organic meat that you're going to buy. So yeah, I, I, I don't see it either. I guess if you were only buying maybe, um, a vegan, maybe very processed, diet, um, yes. that could, you know, start to ramp up in price. And I think maybe that's maybe where people get that misconception. I, I think you're probably right, Sarah. Um, I did scoot out and do, do, do some looking at, you know, a lot of the new products that are plant-based and they're, you know, they're highly packaged, they're frozen or they're chilled. And this all adds price, adds cost to mm -hmm. them. Um, and I don't begrudge people buying them at all. And I, I, in fact, like to see what's out there and sample it from time to time. But predominantly, I supply the basics into our home and I cook things from scratch. And I've got that down to a fine art because, like most people, I haven't had time to spend four hours a day yeah. 
um, it has to be quick. It has to be robust, a robust meal. And as then building in all those other things like the color, the texture, the flavors has to be very, very uh, appealing and, and attractive. Oh, yeah, totally agree. And just looking through, you know, looking through your book just right now, I mean, just so many things stand out to me, you know, spiced rice and lentils. I mean, nothing odd about that, you know, lentil. I mean, it's just good meal. You know, you have salad, yeah. you have pizza bases, um, you know, that's all familiar food to us. That's right. That is yeah. plant-based, easy to make. Like you said, even those of us who like to cook, you know, we still are busy people. We don't have hours. That's right. Every day in the kitchen. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I prep a lot of stuff on the weekends for a few hours. And then when it comes to the week, we can just kind of fly through <laughs> easy breezy. Nice. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. 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 So many good, good recipes in, in this book. And I think um, you know, for anybody that wants to explore adding more plants based foods into their lives. It's such a, such a good starting point. Do you have any favorite recipes? I'm sure it's hard to narrow it down to, to just one from the book. It, it, it really is. Um, I mean, I guess what's happening here with us is it's the, we're still in soup season. Yes, that's true. I love that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm a, you know, pumpkins are especially just finishing, so that's a bit of a loss. But I recently made a pot of cream of mushroom soup for my husband. And that's one of those that you think, how can you make cream of mushroom soup if you're vegan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but that's no problem. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're having bean and barley soup as well this week. Um, and soon we'll have nettle soup, but it needs to be a, another month, I think, before we see the green little green nettles. Mm. So my favorites at the moment are the soups. And there, I think there are about a dozen different types in the book. And we're still still in the very wintry sort of soup. Some of them are rather light and, and summery. Yeah, in the winter, we, we as well love to, and I can't wait to make a few of them from your book. Um, my son has been, you know, he's like, wow, before, you know, the plant-based eating, you know, he's like, mom, I barely touched soup. And now it's like my favorite thing for you to make. And uh, I'm like, this is great, you know, because it's, yes. it's so full. I know people are always thinking like, oh, well, salads are, are the best. And yes, I love a good salad. But in the winter, it, it doesn't maybe sound as good because it's a little cold, you know? Yes. So soup yeah. is still, you get so many nutrients in soup and it's warming, you know? So it's comforting. It's like pulling up a warm blanket while you eat it. That's right. <laughs> it's Plus it's aromatic as well. It fills the, the space with good good smells. Oh, it does. Whether it's on the stovetop or in the slow cooker. Yeah. Um, you know, I think especially in that slow cooker, when you do the transition, maybe you've been gone and then you come home and you smell it in the slow cooker and you're like, whoa, what is that smell? <laughs> like so yes. good. Yes. It makes you glad to be there. Yes, it does. It adds a warm, comfy yeah. feel in the, in the winter. So Peggy, this has been so fun to talk to you. And I love all the tips that you, you gave us here on the podcast today, as well as I love all the tips in your book. And definitely, I think this is something everyone should have for their their cookbook collection, their their shelf of recipes to go to. Where can people purchase your book and connect with you to learn more? 
Well, thank you, Sarah. Um, the book is available in Australia and the UK and shortly to be launched in the US. Um, of course, you can buy it from Amazon, but in the US, you can also buy it from Book Larder, which is a, uh, an independent bookshop. And the easiest way to order it is to go to my website, which is PeggyBrousseau.com. Do I need to spell my name or will you have that? Yeah, we can link all of this in the in the show notes for sure. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. So you can just click on a button on the homepage to order it from any of those places. Um, and you can sign up for my newsletter there as well, which includes a free download of of how to enact or to, to kickstart that 80-20 rule to help you make the transition. It's called Vegan Action Plan, Seven Days to Change Your World. And that's on the website as well. Oh, I also I love that. try. And, yeah, thank you. I try and post a few images on Instagram, which is new for me. Um, that's also Peggy Brusso on Instagram. Oh, how fun! We will definitely link all this in the show notes on how people can buy the cookbook, connect with you, and I especially love this section on your website, the Ask Peg questions and I love that you're answering you know people's questions and just spreading your knowledge your 30 years worth of knowledge to people when they have a question because you have built up all this knowledge and now you can just you know answer people's questions and uh so we're going to link that in the show notes as well because I think that's definitely um, you know, in this day and age, we like to hide behind our computers and, and ask questions. And what better just to, you know, send a direct question to you. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm happy to have that there. It's really a pleasure. It's something I've been doing in person as well all these years because there's, there always, always are a lot of questions and I'm very happy to answer them. Oh, that is so great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And yeah, just go buy Peggy's book and you will love it. And it will definitely help you be a contented vegan as the name of, as the, name of the book is aptly called. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. Wasn't Peggy so delightful? I loved her calming presence that just came through on the interview so well. She is just so calming in her expertise about the nutritious side of plant-based diet and her tips on transitioning and even handling the two-meal family is genius. And I loved her tips on when your friend's kids stop by. I am currently in that situation all the time and having to feed other kids and wondering if they're going to like it. And I just loved her tip to just set it out and then get out of the kitchen. <laughs> so good. Her new cookbook, The Contented Vegan, is such a great resource filled with not only recipes, but nutrition information and tips. This is a great cookbook if you are transitioning to a plant-based diet. Again, just a reminder that if you are listening to this in real time, you have the opportunity to win a copy of the cookbook. So if you are listening to this March 2nd through the 9th, we are giving away a copy and just head over to our sponsored blog, badtothebull.com forward slash 30. Again, that is badtothebull.com forward slash 30 and check out the show notes to see how to enter. 
Thanks.